With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. It's the Crossover Sports Illustrated's NBA show. Breaking down the latest news, rumors, and everything in between. Here's your host, Chris Mannix, Rohan, Nadkani, and Chris Herring. This is the Crossover NBA podcast. Chris Mannix joined, as I always am, by Chris Herring and Rohan Nadkarni. Quick housekeeping note, fellas. The NBA preview issue is out. Well, I guess the basketball preview issue, because there is a lot of college stuff in there as well. But the cover is NBA. Jimmy Butler, guest editor uh, for... This NBA preview issue, Rohan, you spent some time with Jimmy Butler in Parts Unknown. I assume South Florida did a a story with him. It's excellent. Check that out. I've got a piece on the Phoenix Suns. Spent some time talking to Matt Ishbia, James Jones, Frank Vogel, key pieces of that organization, trying to recreate uh, exactly what happened after the season ended and how they got to this point where they have one of the most expensive teams in NBA history. A lot of good stuff there. Scouting reports, different elements as well. Make sure you pick up uh, the magazine on stands uh, right now. Um, so, fellas, we've got the NBA GM survey that's out, and I want to dive into some of the uh, some of the elements of that. But but before we start recording this podcast, I was just going through social media and looking up some clips and all that stuff, and. Um, I came across one from the Pat Bev pod, the Patrick Beverly pod he does with Barstool Sports. And I just want to play this clip for you because Pat Bev was joined by Michael Rubin, the former owner of the Philadelphia 76ers, now this still the CEO with Fanatics, uh, someone who has a strong relationship with a lot of players, including James Harden, who they discussed in this clip here. As a past NBA owner, Obviously, you're close to the Sixers. The situation that's going on with James Harden, how would you handle it? It wouldn't have happened. <laughs> I mean, you know, first of all, James is family to me. Yeah. And like, I'm not like, I'm not going to hide about that. I love James. This thing is breaking my heart. This thing was just not handled well. He was playing with us in practice and he, boy, he was cooking. He was? Ooh, I'm talking about the, the pot was out and he was stirring that bitch up. There's nobody who wants to win a championship 
more than James Harden. Like yeah. I know this guy like my brother. Yeah. People give James a hard time because you know he likes to have fun. I mean, it's bullshit. Like the guy, the guy's work ethic for basketball is insane. And his, his attitude has been great. He's been leading. He's been giving advice. So you might hear all the bad shit, you know, TV from reporters that's not there. But actually, being a teammate that's there, he's he's been phenomenal. I block out the noises really same because I think a lot of people just don't know like the real James Harden, how badly he wants to win. I think he's in great, not good shape. No, he's in great shape. Yeah, he's in great shape. Great shape. Right. That's yeah, right. Body looks great. Yeah. Every time I'm in the weight room, he's in the weight room. He's going to ball out this year. So, Herring, I know my blood shouldn't boil when I hear stuff like this. And I know it, you know, the podcast is doing its job if it gets me kind of drawn in and talking about it. But to hear Michael Rubin say that James Harden wants to win a championship more than anyone, at the same time that James Harden is trying to force his way off a championship contender, that is a Rubik's Cube of nonsense that I'm really having a hard time wrapping my head around. Uh, Your thoughts on the uh, propaganda emerging from the Pat Bev pod about James Harden. I'm just trying to think of a stranger mashup than, than the one you just explained. I mean, the, the whole universe of Michael Rubin and all the, there's so many things lately that just on social media that I've wanted to mute. And I don't think I know enough about how to do it. I haven't taken the time to do it, but if I had a way of muting, like Michael Rubin parties uh, that, you know, <laughs> that James Harden and any other number of athletes are at or like all these white parties and everything else. It's like, I would do that. But that makes this element of this story, this, this framing odd because it's like, okay, well he presumably is friendly with James Harden or James Harden is friendly with him. But also the, the fundamental standpoint now at this point that maybe there are people in the organization that instead of kind of just gloves off, which it seemed like it would be based on what James Harden said about Daryl Morey earlier this summer, that there's also the very real possibility that maybe he's not traded. And so they need him to feel wanted and they need him to feel like they want him to perform well, which is what you would want if you're a team that at least there's a, you know, as you said in one of the last podcasts we did, it's not out of the realm of possibility that they could be a, a, a winner, a contender, a champion if everything fell right, you know, the right way. So I think that's all this is, is just positive reinforcement. But I mean, it's also silly from the standpoint that you're saying that clearly people that are making trade demands, whether it's behind the scenes, whether it's publicly, whether it's saying my general manager, my president is a liar, it's hard to hold those two thoughts in the same time in your head that, you know, on the one hand he can say those things, but also nobody wants it more than he does. Come on. Like it, it, I know it's just, you know, the first thing probably that popped into Ruben's mind, but it's just silly. Rowan, I know you're, you're a regular at these white parties, but do you have a uh, issue? <laughs> um, let me just, first of all, echo uh, my esteemed colleague, Chris Herring's uh, fatigue with Michael Rubin. Just this guy's everywhere all the time. Um, Fanatics sucks. I'll say it. Um, Fanatics is not good. (laughs) Wow. Wow. uh, Let's start there. Uh, I mean, like, kudos to Michael Rubin, you know, what he did, getting involved with Meek Mill, et cetera. But, like, we could have left it at that. Um, Listen, 
I, if I were James Harden, I might be living my life a similar way. Let me put it that way. But there is now a, what is it, a preponderance of evidence that winning a championship is not necessarily number one on this guy's priority list. Um, just not only in terms of how he's carried himself this offseason, but how he likes to carry himself during the season when he's staying in Miami or Vegas for an extra night um, away from his teammates or flying separately, etc. All that stuff's been reported. I'm just, I'm sick of the, the Sixers offseason. I'm sick of the Embiid-Harden partnership. I respect you, Mannix, for still holding out hope, having faith. You've always been kind of an optimist, a wonderer, a dreamer. Wide-eyed. That's, that's Wide-eyed how people optimist. describe you. But I'm just so over this. It just like what? Do, like, I, like you said, I mean, respect to that podcast. We're we're here talking about it. I love Pat Bev. He's a good personality. But like, what, what, just what are we doing here, Michael Rubin? Who are you? Who are you fooling? Okay, we are familiar with James Harden's game. Okay, you're you're not fooling us. Game off the court specifically, yes. right? Yes. Like. You, you can't say James Harden is misunderstood or gets a bad rap when <laughs> right. he, he forced his way out of Houston by throwing a multi-week temper tantrum. He effectively quit on the Nets, which forced them to make a deal when they probably didn't want to. And now here he is trying to get out of Philadelphia after holding, you know, one of the worst holdouts in holdout history uh, to stay away from the team. It just, uh, the the the, I mean, just the, the trying to get us to believe that is just wild. So... You know, we had to talk about it. You know, James Harden still officially a member of the 76ers. We'll see what happens as these uh, preseason games go on and what they do with him. But uh, right now, James Harden, kind of between a rock and a hard place, might have to play for Philadelphia uh, this season. So I want to talk in this episode about the GM survey, which always provides good preseason material whenever it comes out. And uh, there were some interesting elements in this year's GM survey, guys. And I want to start with the championship prediction from the NBA GMs, which turned into a two-way tie between the Boston Celtics and the Denver Nuggets. Milwaukee coming in at third place, 23%. Phoenix, 7%. They came in fourth, and the LA Clippers uh, finishing at 3%. Last year, the Bucks were the leader at 43%. Um, Denver doesn't surprise me. Denver has the core of that team back. We've talked about this before. I think they can expect some... Organic growth from Christian Brown. I think Peyton Watson might be able to play. They've got some other guys on that roster that can take steps up. By the way, while we're speaking of the Nuggets, uh, condolences to Mike Malone's family for the passing of Brendan Malone, his father. That was revealed by the organization uh, this week. Um, But when it comes to Denver on the floor, uh, I I can see why they'd be a, a championship contender. The Celtics, I might be one of the few... Pessimist? I don't know if I'm pessimistic about the Celtics. I have more questions about the Celtics than many people do. My good friend Scalabrini was on TV recently, and he said every GM would want this roster. And, and I tend to agree with that, sort of. Because if you could bubble wrap this roster and guarantee that it plays 65 to 70 games together and will be healthy going into the playoffs, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, I think the backcourt is really strong, especially defensively. Drew Holiday, elite defender. Derek White, big-time defender. We know what Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum can do. Uh, you know, that, that that speaks for itself. The front court is good, right? Chris Asporzingis, Porzingis, good player. Al Horford, good player. But Porzingis, uh, chronically injured, 
right? Like, he played, what, 60, 65 games last year, but that was a contract year, and I have less confidence he's going to be able to repeat that. He was already injured this offseason with uh, whatever happened with his foot over in the uh, World Cup. Uh, Al Horford's 37. By design, he's probably only going to play like 50 games this year because they want to keep him healthy for the playoffs. So we don't know what's what Al Horford is going to look like at the end of this season. After that, what is there? They signed Wenyan Gabriel. Wenyan Gabriel last year played 68 games for the Lakers. In the playoffs, he played 10. He averaged 3.7 minutes per game in the playoffs for the Lakers last year. That is the very definition of playable in the regular season and unplayable in the playoffs. Like, it, it just is what it is. Luke Cornett is still there. He was unplayable for Boston in the playoffs last year. Uh, you know, this was a team that was already thin when Grant Williams was there. Now, Grant Williams is gone, and... I don't know what they do if one of these two guys goes down for any length of time. So that's a long way of saying like, yeah, I, I can I can buy the argument that the Celtics are the team to beat in the Eastern Conference. I can buy the argument that they are a championship contender. But uh, Rohan, I just, I have a lot of concerns about what happens if anything goes south in that front court. I agree. I mean, that's why I thought the holiday trade was so fascinating and why I wasn't sure how seriously to take Boston as a contender for holiday, even though his name was obviously their name was obviously coming up that entire weekend before he was traded. Um, a, a huge reason why they've been, been special the last few years is kind of the alchemy of their front court mix and matching Horford, Rob Williams and Grant Williams. That's gone entirely. I see people saying now. Uh, Porzingis and Horford might start together. There's talks about does Derek White come off the bench? There's a mistake. Right, that's another thing I don't. I I don't understand. I mean, you don't you don't have a backup really for either guy right now. Um, Why aren't they backing up each other? That that already is starting to not make a ton of sense for me. The way I look at it, Mannix, is I do think we're starting to see some trickle down effect of the second apron because you look at the the top teams right now whether it's Milwaukee, Boston, Phoenix, Denver to an extent, it, it's not that the championship teams of yesteryear were flawless, but we're looking at teams that are especially top-heavy these days. And Boston doesn't have a lot of avenues to improve the roster. Same for Milwaukee. I mean, I think Milwaukee has a great five in uh, Holiday, Connaughton, Middleton, Giannis, and Lopez. But then they have Bobby Portis, and they have a bunch of question marks after that. They don't have a lot of playoff rotation, guys. Uh, Phoenix is in a similar boat. Denver, I think you and I are probably higher on Denver's bench than most people. We like what we think Peyton Watkins can do. Peyton Watson can do. Zeke Naji, Swarther had a nice preseason debut, but those are a bunch of question marks for them right now. So, on one hand, I I, I echo your skepticism about Boston only in terms of Horford's coming off the the worst postseason of his career. Um, I, I think on both ends of the floor, and he's only getting older. Porzingis, he's played ten playoff games in his life. But when you match them up against kind of the other contenders, unless you think like a team like the Lakers or Warriors who have a little bit more depth, maybe not quite as much top end talent, uh, can make a push, I understand why you'd put Boston there only because I think a lot of the contenders are really top heavy right now. Well, I mean, but the the, the front court, like to get out of the Eastern Conference, you got to get through Milwaukee. And Milwaukee's yeah. front court is still really strong. They still have all the pieces mm-hmm. that were in place. They still got Giannis, still got Brooke Lopez, still got Bobby Portis. They've still got all the guys that have the potential to give Boston a lot of problems. And and I go back a couple of years and the Celtics back when they had Rob Williams and they had Grant Williams, they were 
in the mix for Jakob Pertl when San Antonio was trying to deal him. They wanted to get Pertl. They didn't want to give up two first-round draft picks back then. But they knew back then when they had, you know, three, you know, strong front court guys that they needed one more to get through Milwaukee. That was when they made the deal for Mike Mascala, and he turned out to be unplayable in the playoffs as well. So I have concerns about Boston's front court. Anything about the predictions Herring concern you uh, or, you know, stand out to you, whether it's the Celtics or somebody else? I mean, I can admit to the same thing you guys are saying, that I was surprised that Boston was tied for first for just, you know, the team that GMs thought was the most likely to, to win the whole thing. Um, it's really hard for me to look at this roster without wincing just a little bit. We all can acknowledge that there's a lot of top end talent in this team. There was before the moves they made this summer. There is now the Porzingis fit is interesting. I think everybody can look at that and say, wow, that if, if this works out, they can win a title. Obviously no one's denying that. It's just to have him and Horford as your two centers. And then Wendy and Gabriel, who I really like, but I don't think of as necessarily my second or third string center or you know if, if he's even a center he's like six nine uh or whatever he is so that's all it, it's it's just you know and look I've been critical of the Celtics from the standpoint of you're trading away a lot to get Porzingis if if only you're talking about Marcus Smart from the standpoint of you know a backbone a heart and soul obviously a very versatile important defender within that cog that they have defensively so they go get Drew Holiday, and I think it does kind of answer a lot of those questions, a lot of those criticisms, but I, I, I just, I, I still wonder a little bit of if now you're doing that, and in doing that, you give away Robert Williams, if it makes you thinner at the spot that I was most concerned about now, uh, you know, at center, even when they had those three, it was kind of a, a weird hodgepodge of guys that you're not for any reason you're not going to feel comfortable about whether they can hold up and be healthy the whole year also stylistically um if you're missing one of those guys it, it changes the way your offense looks because two of them are guys that can shoot from three one is a guy that's kind of more around the rim and setting screens and stuff like that so anyway i i was just a little bit surprised that as we're all acknowledging the potential thinness of this group that they would be a, a co-favorite here. I think the Nuggets still deserve to be the favorite, and I personally would probably take the Bucks over the Celtics as a favorite. But, um, but all that said, you know, I don't think there's a runaway team here after the Nuggets. I, I would probably leave them at number one because there was a lot of other stuff that happened between the depth of the Lakers, the top end stuff of the Celtics, the top end stuff of the Bucks. Um, to me, when I see that much stuff happening, I'm just going to defer to the team that, that won last year. That, granted, they did lose some things, but they have the potential to get better with more continuity um, of the top end guys that they have that haven't been healthy up until last year. So I, I would, you know, I was a little bit surprised to see that Boston pulled into a tie with, with Denver among the GMs. Well, we, as we know, the Boston media mafia is working overtime um, in these kinds of situations. I'm kidding. I know it was the GM survey. One thing I want to throw out there is. In, a, in kind of a funny twist, like the Celtics have had the best Joel Embiid defender over the years in Al Horford, and Horford was giving Embiid problems in the semis last year to the point where P.J. Tucker had to get in his face and be like, bro, you need to take this matchup. But what does Boston do now in that matchup? Because if you're playing Horford against Embiid, does that mean you're, you're playing Porzingis and Horford together? And which of your guards are you keeping off the floor? Does that mean you keep Derek White off the floor? It's kind of an interesting problem they've created for themselves unless they're willing to live with Porzingis on Embiid but that kind of takes away 
one of the biggest strengths they've had in that matchup over the years. Yeah, um, it is going to be a challenge for them because Horford is Horford has been excellent. I mean, Embiid he he gives him so many problems. Um, he he clearly has the timing down on Embiid. Like he does. Like he knows. Yeah, it's fat. It's fantastic to watch. He pushes him off his spots. He's he's just got a lot of you know, and maybe some of it's mental too. Like Embiid's seen him so many times over the years that it's like, all right, well, Al Horford again, and you know, he, he's asked about it every single postseason. He's had some great games against Horford. Don't get me wrong. He's played really well at times, but uh, it is. Uh, I am a little surprised, guys, that the team nobody's really in on the Suns yet. Seven uh, percent seem a little mm. low for me. Uh, you know, and look, I, I understand. Maybe Herring, you got to give this team time to figure itself out and see if these guys can play together and see if this mix of players can work. But you know, if that team gets the playoffs fully healthy, hard to stop. <laughs> Very hard to stop in the postseason. No, no question. I mean, you know, I, I I watched clips. I watched bits of the the game that they played against the Pistons. And granted, it's the Pistons, you know, one of the youngest teams in the league. But to watch the Suns, who you know have just started playing together, that you know have eighty points between the first and the third quarter of a road game, road opener for preseason. Uh, there's obviously a lot of potential there offensively. I would say that as we talk about the things we like and dislike about teams, the thinness, the depth of these rosters, I'm a little bit surprised that the Suns haven't done a little bit more to go out and get a, a bona fide point guard. I think it's a big – granted, you have a lot of ball handling on that roster. It's not to say you don't um, and top-level guys that can do it. But it's a big change to go from having Chris Paul be your point guard and even to have Cam Payne be your backup point guard – to then going and just saying we're you know we're going to kind of take the Clippers route um, to have our forwards handle the ball to have Devin Booker handle the ball again all guys that can do it but these are also guys that you like to just kind of throw in ISO situations you don't want to wear them down the whole season of having them uh, handle the ball so I th- they've added depth and I think they need that they obviously needed it last off season or I'm sorry last postseason and so they've done well to add to that. Um, but I think that they still, it would do them well to have, even if it's, you know, I, I look at something like what the Bulls did. They went and got Javon Carter, someone that played for the Suns at one point, the sort of guy that could really be helpful to this team. I also wonder just a little bit, just a little, and I think I saw some of this in their first preseason game as well. Um, Yusuf Nurkic is an interesting fit. I think he can do good things for them. He's good, you know, as a playmaker here and there. Uh, defensively, I worry just a little bit about him, uh, of, of how big a step back it seemed like he took in Portland. And, uh, you know, for all the problems Aiton has at times, uh, I wonder if he's more nimble defensively and would work better defensively with that team. But we'll see. We'll, we'll see what happens. I, I think that the Suns absolutely could win it. They absolutely have the talent and skill to do it. I think they have, um, you know, a, a coach that I really like, one of my favorites in the league in Vogel, but... Um, I, de- I definitely have some questions about them, which is why, again, I would still take Denver um, head and shoulders above everybody else for now. Um, I actually am a little bit surprised the Lakers didn't get more picks here as well um, in this in this survey. I maybe would have liked the Suns more before the Nurkic trade. Uh, I'm just I, I'm replaying that uh, Denver series in my head, and while Landry Shamit was getting a ton of open threes, and theoretically that could be Bradley Beal now. I mean, I look at them as even worse or, you know, more poorly equipped to slow down the Nuggets than they were last year. And while we're on the subject of health, I mean, 
Durant, uh, you know, he missed some time. Obviously, he came back right before the start of the playoffs and, and looked great at times. And, and I think Booker's only continued to improve. But, I mean, there's a health there's a health question mark hanging over them, you know, as long as Durant is there. And I I need to see it. I mean, there was definitely some exciting moments just watching kind of Beal, Booker, and Durant take their turns in that preseason game. And it's like, oh, man, like they have three guys who can go just ISO and get a score seemingly anytime they want. But and I'm I'm warming to the Nurkic move more than when it first happened, but I really need to see that defense in action for a little while before I can take them seriously as a title contender. Yeah, I think you guys just articulated why they only got 7% of the vote. There's a lot of question marks out there about them until we see them actually uh, come together uh, and play. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. All right. Uh, We had Nicole Jokic picked up first place in two different categories, and I want to talk about both of them. First was the player most likely to win the 2023-24 MVP. He got 43% of the vote in that category. Giannis at number two at 20%. And then if you were starting a franchise today and could sign any player, who would it be? Uh, He got 33% of the vote in in that category. Victor Webanyama coming in second with 23%. On the subject of MVP, guys, let's start there. 43% of the vote. I'm actually shocked it wasn't higher. Like, I, I thought it would be like 70%. Because, not <laughs> yeah. look, first, he's, he's 28 years old. He's in his prime. Uh, he's durable. He's yeah, he just won a championship. He was you know the best player on the best team in the NBA. There's no reason to believe he's not going to come in next year and put up comparable, or this year and put up comparable numbers. And I do think that the people that were divided on Nikola Jokic last year are not going to be divided this year. The people that were skeptics about his ability to win and use that against him when it came to MVP voting and use that as a reason to vote for Joel Embiid, those people aren't going to exist, or that feeling isn't going to exist. If Nikola Jokic puts up MVP numbers on the guy on the team that is at or near the top of the Western Conference, there is no doubt in my mind he is going to win MVP. He is going to get, deservedly I think, 
every benefit of the doubt this year when it comes to MVP votes. So whether it's, uh, you know, Embiid, Giannis, Jason Tatum, Luka Doncic, I think Jokic is going to get the benefit of the doubt there, uh, Herring. I think he's going to be uh, by far and away, he is by far and away the front runner to win the MVP. I agree. Um, and I, I say that as someone that ended up voting for Embiid last year. And I think, look, you know, everybody has different opinions. Like the playoffs shouldn't matter, this, that. Look, he outplayed everybody last year in the postseason. And he was pretty neck and neck, I thought, with Embiid. At worst, he was neck and neck. And a lot of Jokic supporters, defenders would have said he should have won it last year anyway, even without the postseason. And so in light of all that, um, if people view it as a makeup or just the fact of if he, the reason that a lot of people were saying that he shouldn't have won last year is how can you give this guy three straight when he hasn't won anything significant? Well, now he's won something significant. And he, by the way, he's plays for one of the best teams in the league, drives as the driver of one of the best teams in the league and averages damn near a triple-double. And oh, by the way, Again, another knock that I think a lot of people use on him. He's more impactful defensively than he gets credit for uh, in terms of just the way he looks and the way he appears. Um, kind of like the rear view mirror thing, you know. And so it's one of those things of um, he, I, I, there's really, as you said, th- there were doubts before about whether someone of his stature deserved it. But now you have to throw that out, given that he's won a title. And I think, quite frankly, the same was relatively true of someone like Giannis, too, of you know, are we really going to give him a third consecutive MVP when he hasn't won a title? And then he did win one. And so it's, you know, it, it, it's stupid. It shouldn't operate that way. We shouldn't operate that way, but it, it's the truth. And I, I I think he should be the favorite. Uh, I see Luca's name up here high on the list again. And it's kind of like, I, I don't see the team being good enough to, to really have him in that conversation personally. But um, aside from someone like Tatum or something like that, I don't really think, this is going to be much of a competition. I think Giannis, he could have a crazy season, but I think now he's got so much additional talent on his team, top-end talent on his team, that a lot of people are going to say how much of the winning that's happening now in Milwaukee is happening as a result of Lillard. So I think Jokic going into a situation where he might have to do a little bit more than he did last year just with some of the guys they lost on that team, uh, I, I think it'll probably be Jokic again this year. Um. Two things. At one point during this podcast, I'm going to unleash my zag on Wemby take. It's based on nothing oh, other God. than just pure takery. I uh, <laughs> just want to throw that out there. Goodness gracious. Um, I I actually think Jokic is def- – I think what this poll reflects is he's, he's the best player in the league right now. I don't think that's a question anymore. He's the most impactful player in the league, the most unstoppable player in the league. Any interview I did this summer asking players about – I'd end asking about Jokic, and just nobody had a single good answer about how to slow him down. But I, I actually don't think he's going to win MVP this year. I think part what? of it is, I think part of it is, I think last year we saw the team kind of slowed him down a little bit toward the end of the season. I think he's going to be fantastic. I think the numbers will be there. But even last year during the like regular season, the Nuggets had some lulls. I could see that happening, especially if they have an injury. Uh, we talked about their depth. I mean, I. I think he's definitely the best player in the world, but with MVP, there's so many factors that go into it, guys, and I don't want to like start the argument early, but I I could see Giannis winning it. Like, what if the Lakers are the two seed in the West or something like that? Like I, I could see there being a LeBron argument at some point. I, I'm just 
I as much as I we're all in agreement here that, that Jokic has separated himself, a lot of stuff's gonna happen um in this MVP I race that, that could send it in I, several But directions. I do agree uh, I do agree with the point he's making from this again, that was why I had I even wrote a column a month and a half before the season ended or whatever, two months before the season ended, that Jokic looked head and shoulders above everybody else that he was gonna win a third straight. And then that was when essentially we saw that lull from Denver where you know, they're losing to Houston. They're losing, you know, they're losing to San Antonio. They're losing to all these teams that they have no business losing to. And Jokic was still putting up decent numbers, but not really um, showing out at the ends of these close games and stuff like that. And it happened at the same time that we were watch, watching uh, Philly ascend and we're watching Embiid play his tail off and we're watching Embiid do it, you know, at a time where we're trying to make sense of how much of a contender is Philly. Um we're watching it in the midst of a season where he played a good chunk of it without Maxi or without Harden. Um, so, yeah, those were all factors in me saying, well, maybe Embiid deserves it this time. Uh, but I, I think that that would have been less likely to happen if Denver felt like they had to win, uh, if Denver wasn't bored. And so, you know, now that they've won a title and now that we're hearing about how, oh, you know, the Lakers care about this way more than we do. They shouldn't be so in their feelings. I could very much see this being a season where the the Nuggets um, have another lull or at some point in the season have a lull. And what that does to Jokic, whether he feels the need to play as much, whether they're more protective of his health and they just sit him out, who knows? But those are things that will factor into this if, if that's the case. And um, it might not be Giannis necessarily. It might not be Embiid, but it might be somebody else. It could be Shea. We were talking the last time about uh, Oklahoma City and how we're expecting them to take something of, you know, that they could take a leap or that they could make a decision to take a leap from the standpoint of making a trade that makes them a bigger player here. It's not outside the realm of possibility. I think that's why he also got less than 50% of the vote um, when it comes to what GM said. He's clearly the best player, but that doesn't necessarily equate to him being the hands-down MVP, although he is who I would take. Right he now, is since I'm not sure the hands down MVP. He is. I, I, I can't. I look. It, yes, if he sits out games, that's a problem. If he winds up playing 65 games, it opens the door for somebody else. But he has been one of the more durable guys in the NBA. And he sure. wants to play, and the Nuggets have no reason not to play him because you know the success speaks for itself. What he did last year, and uh, sure, and winning, winning a um, championship. Have you guys? Uh, have you guys noticed the slight turn that's happening on Jokic? And it's mostly, I think, from Lakers fans. But people are like, "We're tired of his. We don't. He doesn't care. Act." And it's like this is not an act. Like this man really simply is a little. It's mostly Lakers fans, but it's kind of funny to see it happen where they're like. Oh, no other player could say they don't care about championships and get away with it. It's funny. It's genuinely funny. I don't think look. Giannis came in at number two. The Bucks won 58 games last year, and he didn't win the MVP. Like, I, even if they match last season's win total, as you mentioned, he's going to share some of the credit with Damian Lillard, just like he's going to share some of the shots with Damian Lillard. And I think that's going to eat into his MVP voting share. I think Tatum's going to have a great year. He's kind of a dark horse. Luka, to me, would be a better candidate if the Mavericks were going to be good, but I don't know too many people that believe this Mavericks team is going to be good. They've got great firepower in their backcourt and nobody playing defense on that roster. So I think they're in trouble. I just think it's, you know, barring injury, it's going to be Jokic all day long for actual reasons, like reasons that, 
you know, make basketball sense in, you know, maybe for some sympathetic reasons for some people out there that were like, I didn't vote for him last year. Uh, I was wrong about him. He can win a championship. I am going to vote mm-hmm. for him this year. I was surprised to see Embiid in the others receiving it all category. <laughs> yeah. like he's 30 years old and he's got a good he's team. He's not getting like, it after last year, after the, the way he was outplayed by other people in this category. That's true. In the that's playoffs. True. You know what's interesting as you talk about this, though? Just like one of the things, and again, shout out to John Schumann putting this together every year. They have the, you know, after they list just the percentages that each person gets or each team gets, they also list who was the leader in the category last year. And it's fascinating to see that Luca had a higher percentage of these votes last year than Jokic has here. Luca had basically half the votes last year from GMs of the, the probable MVP. And it's, it's just, it was always a little crazy to me that, like, granted, they were coming off a Western Conference finals trip, but still, like, I, it, it just, it, it's, it's asking a lot of Luca to carry that team given the way it was constructed. And and now, I don't know. The, the the name on here that I don't see that I think could be a factor in it, particularly if we're talking about Phoenix being one of the favorites in the West, is Booker, mm-hmm. particularly as we're talking about um, who's going to handle the ball. I think Booker is maybe the most natural answer of, of those three key guys that they have. And if he is, given that he's still youngish and that he still has the potential, he stays relatively healthy, he's going to score a lot, He's the guy that was already on this team as opposed to Durant having been there recently, Beal just having been there. Like He's the leader of that team in some ways, and it just makes me wonder if he, he wouldn't get the majority of that credit and he becomes an MVP candidate that way. I'm surprised he's not getting any votes here at all. Can I um, – I, this is a silly thing that happened to me last year, and I, I'm not going to spoil the entire conversation, but uh, I spoke to Devin Booker last year after his like 60-point game in Phoenix – um, you know, he's gonna like planning to write a story about the Suns, and then he gets hurt. The team goes in like an epic tailspin, and then they trade for Kevin yeah. Durant. And it's like this is uh, but I, I'm basically by saying I'm on Team Book. I like Book, and I think that he does not get ex- enough credit somehow for how good the Suns are now. I think a lot of that credit went to Chris Paul, especially his first year there. But he's become, I mean, he's become the guy, and I wonder if part of it is like leftover like residual feelings from early in his career when people thought he was just a gunner, a scorer, a guy who couldn't win. But I know people still say his defense. I think he competes hard on both ends of the floor and is, uh, if they are a great team, it'll be, it won't just be because of KD, you know, it'll be books. I think right there neck and neck with them at this point in their careers. Yeah. Nikola Jokic has played at least 72 games. He's not, he played in every game after the bubble year. Yes. That 72-game season. That was the lowest amount of games in the yeah. season because that was the only amount of games yeah. in the season. He's played 80 games twice. Last year, he played 69. That was a career low, but you can expect him to be up around 70-plus, mm-hmm. I think, this year. If he gets over 70, it's a wrap. It is a <laughs> wrap, an absolute wrap, and Nikola Jokic is going to win MVP. Save this audio right here. Wrap. He very Nikola well Jokic. might. I'm, I'm not, I don't think there's a huge argument against that. Like, if yeah. he plays the majority of the season in there, if he's – if in any way he shows he cares about that, which he probably won't, winning the award, I mean, then he's he probably will win it. I don't think there's much argument against that. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. 
Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh my, look at that, he is! And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win! Unbelievable! When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. All right, there is some argument, Herring, on the idea that Jokic is the guy that you would start your franchise with. As I mentioned, Jokic, 33% of that vote. Wembanyama, 23%. Giannis, 13 Luka Doncic down with 10 Last year, Giannis was the guy at 55%. My, my only argument against that is Jokic is 28. So do you start your team from scratch with a 28-year-old? I mean, you figure San Antonio is basically starting their team from scratch anyway, and they're building it around Victor Wembanyama. For me, Wembanyama would probably be the guy... Uh, the only alternative I would have would be Luka Doncic. Luka's 24 and has already proven he's an all-NBA talent. He's already proven he's otherworldly. We assume that Wembenyama is going to be great. And I'm all in on these Wembenyama-Chet Holmgren matchups You know, moving forward. You know, Two currently really skinny guys who are going to get less skinny over the years and be even better. Um, but we don't know yet what Victor Wembenyama is. We know... What Luke is. So I wouldn't start my team, Herring, with Nikola Jokic. I would start it with either Wembenyama or Luka Doncic. How do you see it? I, 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 well, I'll say this. Wembenyama, absolutely, we all understand. I mean, even just that one clip from, what was it, two days ago? Like, we totally understand how that would be the pick here. I, I, or let me speak for myself. I totally understand how that would be the pick here for any number of people. I would probably like to see him healthy for a year or two first. Just his build alone, as we talk about all the questions about Porzingis, I covered Porzingis in New York for years. There's a reason that that archetype often doesn't work. Even Kevin Durant, who has had a beautiful career, um, you, you are susceptible to all sorts of issues physically when you were kind of built that tall and with that level of fluidity to your game. So I don't know. Obviously, San Antonio is thrilled to get him. Any team would have been. But I don't know that he'll have the sort of durability that Jokic has had, for instance. So from that standpoint, I I would feel better about that if the first two or three years of his career, he's someone that misses less than 30, 40 games over that span. Then he would be my number one vote, hands down, obviously. The name on this list that jumps out to me, uh, aside from Luka, obviously, would be Anthony Edwards. He's a guy that as we talk about durability, there have been no issues from that standpoint at all. A guy that has gotten better by leaps and bounds. Um, and is someone that 
fundamentally, I, I'm not trying to knock him by any means. I, I think Carl Anthony Towns has already kind of done that from the standpoint of the guy does not take his diet seriously. He's Also, he's 22, so a lot of people wouldn't at that age, but it's just someone that at his best has already shown levels of dominance. And and to some extent, you could say the same thing about Luka from a um, – from a stamina standpoint and the idea of how the sort of shape he comes into camp. And so I, I would probably take Luca here slightly, but right behind that, I would take Anthony Edwards, which is how this vote played out anyway. I think those are the two that I would say. And look, if Victor is healthy for the next two years, there's no argument against him just given the way that he's built and the, the height he has, the ability he has with the ball, um, the game-changing ability he's obviously going to have defensively. Uh, but yeah, Jokic is a little bit old. Uh to have him at the top of the list, I think Giannis is getting to that point as well. But, um, you know, I, I would probably take Luca and then Anthony Edwards. Rowan, I know I, you'd take Bam Adebayo, but do you have anybody <laughs> else? That, wow, uh, wow. Well, wow. first of all, Bam not getting a single vote for best defensive player is absurd. Um, Weird. Truly absurd. Odd. Um, I do think that Jokic being picked here is a little bit of an overcorrection, a little bit of a... I don't want to get anyone upset at me, so let me just pick Jokic. Yeah, because I agree he is a he is a little old, and it was funny. He also to see him. he also Rohan got ninety three percent of the vote for the NBA's best center. This is again like if Embiid is looking for uh, bulletin board stuff, he just needs to print out the GM survey and <laughs> yeah, slap yeah. it on his wall. Well, it, Embiid, <laughs> if the Embiid's bulletin board should just be filled with highlights of what happened in the playoffs last year. If that isn't motivation enough, mm-hmm. um, I do think. Uh, Edwards is an interesting name that Herring brought up here, and I people always say this. Who knows how true it is? He's had now the Team USA experience, got to play for Steve Kerr, play for some championship coaches, play with other really true top-end, high-end talent, and you wonder if that's going to be an, enough of the mindset change to break out of those early career things that Herring was talking about. I think that's interesting. But I do think like if you're starting a team today – the Wemby pick is is interesting. I think I have mine would be Doncic though. He's like the perfect mix of young, already shown MVP talent, etc. Even though Jokic, I I think we all agree is the best player. But this is a this is one of those questions that everyone's trying to hit a home run on. Kind of like a few years ago, it was Carl Towns, and then ended up being a big whiff. Yeah. So. It, you know, it's it's kind of a, a loaded question Zion to begin with. Is another, yeah, probably too. Job exactly. You know. So, but. Edwards is a, I think this is going to be an interesting season for him. Yeah. Uh, and he's quite motivated to have a breakout year. So <laughs> I think it's going to be uh, a lot of fun to watch him this year. One more I wanted to get into with you guys. And that was the most underrated player acquisition. I just got thought this was kind of funny because Marcus Mark at 17% uh, of the vote. He was acquired by Memphis from Boston this off season. Uh, he was necessary for Memphis because they pulled the shoot on Dylan Brooks, who finished third in this voting at 7%, tied for 7% with a bunch of different guys, including Fred Van Vliet, his teammate down in Houston. I, I just thought that was amusing that, you know, Memphis gets credit for making the most underrated player acquisition, while Houston gets similar credit for making the acquisition of the player Memphis didn't want. I just thought that was amusing. But I guess it begs the question, like, do you see Marcus Smart having that kind of measurable impact on Memphis. Certainly in the short term, they can use him. John Morant's going to be suspended for the first 25 games of the regular season. They need a accomplished point guard. Marcus Smart is that, former defensive player of the year, 
took a team to the finals as a starting point guard. Whatever you think of his weaknesses, that guy is an NBA starting point guard. And then he can slide into multiple different positions, do a lot of what Dylan Brooks did for that team defensively, maybe without all the theatrics that that go along with it. Uh, Herring, do you think that Marcus Smart was the most underrated, one of the best offseason acquisitions this year? You wrote oh, about hands, that on SI.com. Yeah. yeah, hands down. I mean, I think – and it, it, it's difficult because I, I – one, yeah, he's absolutely one of the biggest pickups this offseason. It's it's really hard not to think about the intangibles just as much as the on-court stuff. This is a team that had one of the best backups, if not the best backup in the league, in Tyus Jones. So he has an immediate impact from that standpoint of they're going to need someone – to fill in for a little bit less than a third of the season. Uh, so there's that part of it. There's the defensive part of it, which is that Dylan Brooks uh, is a very, very good defender, but loses his head quite a bit. His Didn't he get ejected or whatever it was five minutes the other night, the last night? Game, yeah. So, I mean, there's that part of it that, you know, Marcus Smart keeps his head about him better, uh, which on a team that, you know, as I mentioned in my story a day or two ago, this was the fifth or the sixth youngest team in the league last year. It's it's really hard to remember that part of it until you realized all the self-inflicted mistakes they make, or let me not even broaden it or generalize it to the Grizzlies job makes off the court, away from the court, away from the game. So, but again, the, the point I was making is that I think it's really difficult not to think about some of those aspects of the leadership in that locker room. Steven Adams was essentially the elder statesman on this team. He was 29 years old last year. Also of the stats that blow your mind, the fact that he was only 29 years old last year. Um, so, you know, you, you would hope that Marcus Mark can provide some veteran leadership here. He obviously did that with Boston. Um, and frankly, Derek Rose to some extent too. I, I, I wrote about that and Rose, I think made a very good point on media day. He said, I did not come here to babysit. I, yeah, I've had conversations with John. I'm not going to get into those with you all, but I'm coming here to play. I'm coming here to help them win. I still have something to prove as a player in this league. I've accomplished everything there basically is to accomplish as an individual in this league, um, but I'm not coming here to babysit. And so it's important to remember that part that no one is kind of Jaws babysitter here, but that you would hope that there can be influences, positive influences that rub off on um on Ja and other people in that locker room through Marcus Smart's example of how he works and how he approaches the job. Um, so, yeah, I think he has the potential to be a massive pickup for them, um, both just as a defender and a great defender, but also as someone that um, is more level-headed than someone like Dylan Brooks. And I, I and this is a team that didn't have a whole lot of veteran leadership and already was in, uh, you know, conference semifinal uh, with all the injuries they've been dealing with and everything else. So it, 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 it's interesting. It makes Memphis interesting. And I think we have gotten to a point now where we're starting to kind of forget them in the contender conversation. But, you know, once they have job back, I know that they're still waiting on Brandon Clark. But this is a team that will have a lot that they didn't have last year. Uh, what I love about the move is we'll find out because their best lineup over the last two years has been Morant, Bain, uh, Brooks, Jaron Jackson Jr. and Steven Adams. And Marcus Smart is a perfect plug-and-play piece in that lineup with Dylan Brooks. We'll find out exactly the improvement. But I honestly, frankly, I think even if we don't see it in the numbers, you can't tell me that getting someone of equal, I think, defensive irritation as Brooks 
And somehow, even though I think Marcus Smart at times in his career, people have criticized him for the confidence on offense, is still much more rational of an offensive player than Dylan mm. Brooks. Uh, and I, I, I can't imagine it hurting them. Herring touched on something that I think is interesting, which is the loss of Tyus Jones, because we've talked a lot about how Smart can play from Morant when Morant's suspended. But who picks up the Tyus Jones minutes? He's been a massive piece for the last few years, whether Morant's hurt or suspended. They've been fortunate to have Tyus to put in the lineup and make things work. I don't think that Derrick Rose can, at this stage in his career, can replace what Tyus Jones was uh, giving them. Well, Smart and that's can, right? Like, Smart, smart can, but... That 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 still means they're a piece short. You know what I'm saying, Mannix? In a way that I think is interesting, and I, I that's going to have some effects that people aren't really talking about. I agree that the start of the season, yeah, Smart's better than Tyus Jones, but then you're still down John Moran. You know, they just they just don't have a replacement at backup guard, which I think will be interesting. But I I do think they've been overlooked a little bit in the, in the contender conversation. At full strength, they're going to be very tough to beat. Yeah, no, I, I'm not so worried about Tyus Jones. Tyus Jones, by the way, should have T-shirts made, best backup point guard in the NBA. Like that, that like is almost attached to him. Like every well, now like he's going to start. He's I know, thirty third yeah. starter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, well, maybe yeah. be a backup rather than be a. I, 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 yeah, that might be. Um, I, I'm not so worried about that, Rowan. I think they can get by with mm. Marcus Smart and Derrick Rose for 25 games. Then when Ja comes back and is playing 35 minutes a game, you know, Marcus as I said, took a team to the finals defensive player of the year, two years ago, like still in the prime of his career. uh, I think he's going to be fine supplementing those minutes. And I think Steven Adams coming back is going to be massive for that team. Like they were getting beat up on the glass in the playoffs uh, by the Lakers. You know, Steve Adams is a one man solution to that problem. Like he's, you know, you put Steven Adams in there. You can play Jaron Jackson more at four. You can move guys around. Uh, just gives Taylor Jenkins one more piece uh, to that puzzle. I do. Th- I did find it interesting that the GMs thought Grant Williams was one of the best pickups of the offseason. I agree with it. I thought Dallas, you Love know, Grant Williams. Yeah. Grant Williams is one of the only guys now in Dallas that defends anybody. And I know he had a tough time at the end in Boston. He lost the confidence of Joe Missoula. But you know, Grant Williams is a versatile defensive player who, before the All Star break last year, was shooting forty one percent from three. Like. That's a good player. I think his confidence issues had a lot to do with his contract. Now that that's resolved, I think he's going to be an even better player. So if if Dallas makes a move this year and gets into the middle of the Western Conference playoff mix, I think Grant Williams, because of his defense and his versatility and his shot making, is going to be a big reason why. I could not agree more. I love the Grant Williams move, and I think him and Cleaver together is like one of the more fun fun front courts you could put together. Uh, both guys can switch. Both guys can shoot. Um, they're better at protecting the rim uh, than they're given credit for. I mean, Grant's not really a rim protector, but uh, he'll stop guys from getting to the basket. I, they That team is interesting. If Grant's really willing to shoot threes and Kleber is healthy, he wasn't really fully healthy last year, um, they can be a little bit better than I think they're being given credit for, but the Kyrie of it all is such a a wild the card. Kyrie that I'm, of it all. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm going to bet big on their success, but I, I'm with you. I th- Grant Williams would have been my pick uh, for most underrated move. I, I I love that. I think he's a perfect piece for Dallas. I love some of these votes too. Like Yusuf Nurkic gets seven percent of the vote. Like that's kind of wild. Uh, Obi Toppin, like a th- somebody's voting yeah. for Obi Toppin in Indiana, but gets percentage of the votes. I mean, okay, <laughs> that, that that remind when I saw that. 
that reminded me that Obi Toppin's in Indiana now. I'm like, that's oh yeah, true. that's right. I, Obi, Obi Toppin's in Indiana now. The Knicks <laughs> signed Obi Toppin's brother and then proceeded to trade Obi Toppin <laughs> only one Toppin at a time uh, in New York. All right. Check out the basketball preview issue. It is on stands right now. You can subscribe to the magazine as well to get it in your mailbox. Jimmy Butler is on the cover. The story written by our own uh, Rowan Nakerny. Guys, good stuff. We will do it again next week. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.